small pavilion. If not, you will get coffee. Or you do both. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The season of Advent proclaims that it is time to get ready for Christ's coming. Now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. This urgency stands in contrast with the pull of everyday life. Each day calls us to enter again into the usual routines of work and relationship. Advent says repent and change, and daily life says do the same thing again in the same way. The excitement created by the Advent message may overcome the inertia of routine for a while. The problem is that the enthusiasm does not last. The urgency fades, our zeal flags, and we fall back into the same old patterns. This has been the problem with Adventist movements. They create an end times mania that is unsustainable and often untrue. I remember being told back in 1984 by one such Adventist that he was certain we were in the seven years of the Great Tribulation. Well, it turns out that we weren't. While these movements seem to bring people to faith through their urgent preaching, their long-term effect may be more in the opposite direction. If you come to faith and make all manner of changes in your life because you think Jesus is coming at a specific date or even during a certain extended season, you will experience disillusionment when it doesn't quite work out that way. And if the preacher was wrong about Christ's coming, doesn't this cast doubt on the entirety of his teaching about Jesus? The root problem is the loss of a sacramental understanding of the world. If we are motivated to change by a fear that Jesus will come soon, this means that we are not fully aware of just how it is that Jesus is present with us now. Jesus is not on vacation. He is already here. And we are faithful or faithless depending upon how we respond to him in the present moment. To have a sacramental understanding of the world means to see the visible world as an outward and visible sign of our invisible creator. Romans says, quote, Ever since the world began, God's invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Genesis tells us that man was made in the image of God. That is to say, created things are signs of the creator. 
In Matthew 25, Jesus describes what judgment will be like. He says that when the Son of Man sits on the throne of glory to judge the world, he will say to the righteous, quote, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And he will say to the unrighteous, as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. In other words, our future judgment depends not upon some future thing, but our response to Christ in the present moment. The most ancient Christian heresy went by the name of Gnosticism. And the Gnostics had many different belief systems, but certain common themes. For them, salvation was a personal, esoteric, and spiritual thing. And it was disconnected from actual life in the world. For them, to be saved was to be saved from the world. Popular Christianity has Gnostic tendencies. Salvation is frequently understood as a personal, spiritual experience that is somehow neatly separated from the actual lives we live from day to day. Heaven, the hope of heaven, is often viewed, or at least implied, that it is a sort of escape from the body and the world to a spiritual state of being in God's presence. And many modern Adventist movements imply that when Jesus comes again, the main effect will be to take us out of the world. This stands in contrast with the biblical emphasis that salvation takes place in this world. Jesus did the work of our redemption in a body, in this world. Jesus is this world's true Lord and King. And he is at work in this world right now, bringing his order and beauty out of this world's chaos. And he will finish his work of redemption in this world at the end of time. As 1 Corinthians says, he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. This is why the church calendar is so important. The calendar is not just a neat thing that some churches follow. The calendar is the right way to experience and interpret time in this world in Christ. In the Old Testament, God taught Israel to experience time through weekly and annual observances that gave time its true meaning. The Christian calendar is the way the church experiences that calendar in terms of its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The very root of our problem is that our lives are governed by a false view of time. 
In the world, time is thought to have had a beginning, but it has no particular end or goal or meaning other than what we create for it. And most of the meanings we create in our time are economic. There is a work week, Monday through Friday. As agents of productivity, we enter this work week with the goal of making money. The weekend is a time off after the work week. The goal of work is usually some vacation in the short run and some kind of retirement in the long run. And there may be additional goals uh, of achievement for ourselves and maybe for our children. Most of the significant seasonal markers have come to be economic. Black Friday marks the beginning of the Christmas season, or what is called the Christmas season. This distinguishes the push to buy things before Christmas from the post-Christmas New Year season, which is the push to buy things after Christmas. God is allowed into this secular economic time in two ways. First, he is a crisis manager. If we have illness, accident, disillusionment or crisis of some sort, we will ask God to help us. And we will tend to assess God on how well he responds to our requests. Second, God is a sort of life helper. We will pray for his help in the various tasks and goals we have. And faith is seen as helpful in as much as it provides practical help in achieving the goals we want to achieve in time. But in this framework, Christ is not the logos or meaning of all things, nor is union with him the chief end of human existence. In the Christian experience, time begins and ends in Christ. Time began when the Father spoke the creation into existence and did the work of creation through his spirit. It will end when Christ appears, when God speaks his culminating word. The sense of time is experienced in the way we live out the year and the week. The year begins in Advent as we wait for Christ to come. Time is marked by feasts, festivals, fasts that describe that we experience again through his saving, his saving work. And time ends at the end of the year with the expectation that he will come again. Each season and each fast emphasizes something God has done in the past, its practical application in the present moment, and it looks forward to its ultimate fulfillment at the end of time. When we live in Christian time, in the time of the kingdom, we live in meaningful, 
redemptive and expectant time. The Christian week also reflects this experience of time. Today is the Lord's Day, the day of Christ's resurrection, the first day of the new week, the beginning of the new creation. We gather for the Eucharist on the Lord's Day to begin our time in Christ. But today is also the eighth day, the completion of the previous week that anticipates the day of the Lord. Sunday is the beginning and the ending, the day on which we have our encounter with Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega. Thus, we begin and end our time in Christ. As we live in Christian time, time marked by what Christ has done, is doing, and will do, we realize that Christ is always coming to us right now. We are not waiting for Christ to come in the sense that he is now somehow absent. We are waiting for Christ to come because we want him to complete our current experience of his real presence. The life of prayer consists simply of the practical details of what it means to live in Christian time. Take our threefold rule, Eucharist. We will begin and end our time in Christ at the altar. Daily office. We will begin and end our day in Christ. Personal prayer. We will endeavor to pray without ceasing so that we will always be aware of Christ's presence in us and in the world around us. When our lives are governed by a rule of prayer, practice in Christian time, the conflict between preparation and routine is eliminated. Daily life becomes the routine of preparing for Christ to come. Thus, we get ready for the future coming of Christ by living faithfully in Christ now. This is the central message of Advent parables, like the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, and the parable of the talents. We are to keep our lamps burning with the whole oil of the Holy Spirit. We are to use our gifts faithfully to serve Christ in the world. As Jesus said, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Christ is coming again, but he is present now in the sacrament, in the members of his body, and in the opportunities God gives us to serve Christ in the world. The central Advent question, thus, is not whether we will be ready to meet Christ at some future date. The central Advent question is, are you ready to meet Christ today? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.